0: just lovely. That was a Vance Memorial Presbyterian Church Chancel Choir under the direction of Mrs. Debbie Brining. Exodus 20 is a chapter and verse that you should know, starting at the first verse. When God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, is a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. But showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall, make wrong, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male and or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your town. For six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, the second chapter of John, in the thir- starting at the thirteenth verse, is a story that in the Synoptic Gospels appears later on in Jesus' ministry. Here, it's very early, and uh, as you know, some of some of I sometimes call this the story of why we cannot have rummage sales in the church. And I say that because when I was a pastor, new to a new setting, Presbyterian women were about to have their rummage sale, and they said, well, we go out to so-and-so's farm and have our rummage sale. And I said, well, why do you do that? You want people in the church. Why not have people have it here? Well, the last pastor said we couldn't do that because Jesus turned over the money temples, the, the, the money changers' tables in the temple because we're not allowed to sell anything in the church. I said, he told you that's what that story meant? Yes. Okay, well, let's go look at the story. The story is really about the money changers cheating the poor. What Jesus was upset about was not some form of capitalism, but rather that the poor were being cheated. And so people who interpret this text as somehow saying that the church should have nothing to do with money, have missed the point altogether. So listen carefully. This is not the point that we're going to talk about in the sermon today, but listen carefully to this, because it is an often misunderstood text. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove, them, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their temples. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here, stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then sent to him, said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? And he answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? but he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I believe that I have told this story here before, but bear with me if I have. When I was in seminary, I worked at a group home for behaviorally disturbed kids. And the couple that I worked with is actually a couple from Belair. We were clear out in northwest Ohio, but they were from Belair. I was from St. Clairsville. It was a weird kind of coincidence. Um, and we were allowed to take the kids to church, One, if they asked, and two, if we asked them and they did not object. And so the couple that I worked with was off that Sunday, but they went to, it was a vineyard church. It was a little wilder vineyard church than we have here. Um, It was a lot more charismatic, a lot more uh, energetic, if you will. Um, Maybe even a little on the Pentecostal side. And um, the couple was off that weekend, so they were sitting on this side of the church. And I had taken the kids with me, and we were sitting on this side of the church. And everything was going well. The kids were kind of digging the cool, hip, upbeat music, you know, and doing their thing. And somewhere in the middle of that, some lady up in the front just fell out all over on the middle of the floor, praising Jesus and one of the kids looked at me, and his eyes were big around his saucers, and he said, what's wrong with that lady? And the only thing I could think to say was, go ask Barbara now, who was the couple working there. If I had been attuned to today's text, I would have said, she was just consumed with zeal for her, for, for her father's house, Right? The word for today is zeal. Now, some of you are fidgeting, I can tell. Are you getting uncomfortable thinking about zeal? We are, after all, God's frozen chosen here. We don't do things here. We don't lift up our hands in praise. We don't jump up and down in joy like we're in a mosh pit. We don't get overly emotional. One of our core values here at Vance is, in fact, that we think, not that we emote. Zeal, you know, zeal sounds like those crazy Holy Ghost, holy roller people who speak in tongues and roll around on the floor and sometimes bark. And let us not forget, because we're here in West Virginia, sometimes even handle snakes. Because the Lord will do amazing things the nuttier we act. I can see some of you, even with masks on, I can tell the looks on your face. We do not need no zeal up in here. Come on, after all, we are people who are uncomfortable singing in foreign languages and having flowers on the communion table and applauding after the choir anthem, no matter how good it is. we are perfectly fine being frozen chosen. Thank you very much. Well, stay with me for a minute. Zeal, which is nothing more than energy and enthusiasm, is a perfectly good biblical concept. As far as I can tell, the word primarily gets used two ways in Scripture. The first of which is the Lord's zeal for the chosen people. God says things like, because you are my people, I will, I will protect a remnant of you. Or because, because of you, my people, I will establish a new kingdom. So clearly, the Lord's love of the people compels God to care and compassion, to wanting the best for God's chosen, and toward moving with great compassion for what is best for them, for us. But the second way the word zeal gets used in Scripture is as our human zeal toward the Lord. As in, zeal for the Lord consumes me. But others forget the law. Others just don't see why we have such zeal. Others don't know the Lord the way they should. In associating zeal with Jesus... In today's text, John is relying on the tradition of the prophets who also brought God's people back to task. It is the prophets who cried out in protest against profaming the temple, against debasing the worship of the Lord, and against substituting ritual for devotion. In Isaiah 63:15, for example, the prophet quotes the Lord crying out to the people. Where are your zeal and your might? The yearning of your heart and your compassion. They are withheld from me, says the Lord. The people were practicing their worship, but with no thought to the reason behind the ritual and no attention to the God who was and is the object of worship they became so worried about the technicalities of worship they ignored the content of it worship became routine and rote utterly lacking God's desire zeal elsewhere in scripture paul who when he was Saul, said of himself that he was once a man of great zeal, zeal great enough to persecute the church. You know how much passion you must have to hate something so much you engage in persecuting it? The same man, now called Paul, whose zeal changes from persecuting the church to professing Christ when writing to the Romans says, The Gentiles have zeal but are not enlightened. They are ignorant of righteousness. They are all pumped up, but they don't have anything to sustain their initial enthusiasm for following the Lord. They're like teens who go to Christian summer camp for the first time and come home all excited to follow Jesus and then forget that they'd ever been there by the time school starts. Be careful of that, Paul says. Paul knows something about zeal. It's not a fleeting emotion. It's an actionable motivation. In Romans 12, Paul relates zeal to spiritual gifts. There's a whole list of things. And we miss it in English if we're not careful. We have many gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teaching, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the, comp- the compassionate in cheerfulness. Did you hear it? You didn't hear it. The giver in generosity actually is the giver in zeal. Because of God's grace, we give. Zeal is related to how we do it. Is it perhaps lack of zeal in God's frozen chosen that contributes to the fact that on average a Presbyterian only gives 0.8% of their income charitably as opposed to the 10% that we all know Scripture requires? Hmm. Paul also goes on to list the marks of a true Christian. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to the strangers. Do not lag in zeal. I wonder what Paul would think of the frozen chosen. I hmm. wonder what Paul would think of the clean, safe, white bread world of 21st century mainline Christianity. I even wonder sometimes what the Lord Almighty thinks of our worship. You know, this text about Jesus, today's text from the second chapter of John, says that they recall a a text from the prophets that say, zeal for the house of the Lord will consume me. Consume me is a really important verb. To consume something is to eat it all up. It's the only thing I think about. It's all there is, is. Zeal for the house of the Lord. And watch this. That comes from the six, Psalm sixty-eight. And here's how that Psalm goes: It is zeal for your house that has consumed me. The insults of those who insult. You have fallen on me. When I was humbled, my soul with fasting, they insulted me for doing so. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the subject of gossip for those who sit at the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. Of course, this is what the disciples think of after Jesus has been arrested, headed to the cross. And crucified, he was humiliated for his zeal for the house of the Lord. You know, if we show too much zeal, people might think we're Holy Ghost weird. That might not be a bad thing. Now, I know that you are all the frozen chosen. But perhaps we need to start being the flawed but thawed. That's a perfectly good theological way to describe Presbyterians. Flawed but thawed, we are all sinners. Who have a little zeal. It is zeal for the house of the Lord. It is zeal for the Lord himself. That makes us people. Who don't just grow through the motions. But who truly have a relationship. With the one who gave all he had for us. In Lent, set aside that notion. That notion that everything must be the way it has always been. That everything must be calm and cool and collected. And find some energy and enthusiasm, some passion for the Christ. For he gave all he had for you and for me. Amen.